0: Yeah, good morning, all over again. Good morning. Good morning. So this morning here, just in the first part of the, uh, the beginning opening here, I'm going to need some participation. So I'm going to call upon you to give me some name brands of some watches. Anybody? Rolex. Ro- what? Rolex. Rolex. Timex. Sigma. Sigma. Apple. Apple. That's, yeah, that's true. That's actually in, never really been... A thing of watches in the past until very recently. How about shoes? Anybody? Shoes? Name brand of shoes? Anything? Nike? Puma? Adidas. right? There's lots of different ones. Dudes. Ladies? How about, oh yeah, hey dudes, yeah. That's new. Uh, how about, how about purses, ladies? Give me a name brand of, what? Louis Vuitton. Louis Vuitton, oh, you know where she <laughs> shops. Okay. Who else? coach, right? What was that one? Yeah, Dior, Kate Spade. So <laughs> we have some big spenders in the street. <laughs> All right, how about vehicles? All right, That's an easy one. Everybody's got one in their driveway. Honda, Hyundai, Ford, Chevy. Okay. F- my personal favorite, Ferrari. Okay. So, thank you for participating, I know it's hard for some, you guys are not used to engaging, but it's okay, we're gonna get, there's a reason for all of that. So, name brands are around us, every day. Our lives are filled with brands. Some good, some not so good, uh, some you've never heard of, but you wear them, you use them, anyways, right? KitchenAid is better than the thing from from Walmart, you know, it's just, there's certain things that are synonymous with quality as well. but. I remember being a teenager living in Japan, just outside of Tokyo, and all of the Japanese youth were really, really into Levi jeans. They were willing to spend over $1,000 for a pair of jeans that you and I would buy at the thrift for $4.99 for the exact same brand. So it's, brands mean something. At different times, it can mean something different. They shift. They don't always stay the same. Right. That which was popular once is not popular now, and what you think is so popular now later on will be a thing of the past and some something else will be there. So uh, what's the philosophy behind branding something? What's the purpose of having a name brand? Right. Today's sermon isn't about being a good steward with your money, whether you should or should not be buying name brands. Uh, we're not against that. No, not at all. You know, we are aware that some brands actually carry quality with it. You don't mind spending more because there's a reason why you're spending for that name because it is synonymous with good quality. Not always. Sometimes you are literally just paying for a name and it's the same as something else produced in the exact same factory, same quality measures taking place, but different name on it and it's much cheaper. So. We're not against that, certainly. You could buy a Harley-Davidson today and you're not going to lose value. It will just gain value over the course of the years ahead. It has statistically gained value. So it would be an investment more than a liability. If you were to buy a Yamaha, not the same. It's going to go down in value. Some cars go up, some cars go down. All kinds of brands move around. So what does anything of this have to do with Scripture? Today we're going to be talking about loving your brother, loving one another, loving your sister. Christ said, brethren, let us love one another. So what does brands have to do with loving one another? Well, Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to be reading from John chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. So when he had gone out, this is piggybacking Pastor Ratliff last week talking about Judas. When he, Judas, had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him, God will also glorify Him in Himself and glorify Him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek Me. And as I have said to the Jews, where I am going... You cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. For by this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. You may be seated. This picks up just after the Last Supper. Judas goes out into the night, as Pastor Ratliff discussed with us last week. It is not just the time of the day, night. Uh, It is a type of night in which Judas went into. He went into darkness. He was going into the night to betray his friend that he was accustomed to living with with the last three, three and a half years. So he was going off into the night. And this is right at the cusp of that happening. In the very beginning of verse 31, it says, "And after he went out." Then it picks up. Jesus says, "Now the Son of Man shall be glorified." <clears throat> it was at this moment that Jesus chooses to express that the Son of Man is finally glorified. He could have chosen a numerous other moments throughout his ministry to say these words. In Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, this is when Jesus was baptized. It says, When He had been baptized, Jesus came up out of the, immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to Him, and He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and a light upon Him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is My beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This would have been a perfect moment for Jesus to say, now the Son of Man is glorified. But He didn't. Then we have the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17, verses 1-8. through 8. We're not going to read all them, but <clears throat> if you're not familiar with it, take a moment and read those eight verses. But this is when <coughs> Jesus is speaking face-to-face with Moses and with Elijah. They're already long gone, long dead. But somehow Jesus is, in His sovereign ability, outside of time, can speak face-to-face with Moses and Elijah who are long gone dead. And when He came back, His face shone with bright radiance. There was a voice from heaven at that point. The Father said, This is My beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear Him. This would have been another wonderful moment that Jesus could have said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified but he didn't in neither of those instances. And there could have been much more. There's more throughout scripture that it would have been a perfect time for Jesus to say, now the son of man is glorified, but he chose this particular moment when his friend was about to go and betray him. He said, now the son of man is glorified because it has been fulfilled. And I go to my purpose. In verse 32, our Lord said, if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. There's a lot of glorifying going on here and it can kind of trip you up. You just think the same words going on, the redundancy, but there's a lot being said here. Verse 32 starts out, if God is glorified in him, take that phrase, if God is glorified in him, the father was glorified by what Jesus would do by his sacrifice of his human body on the cross. The father was glorified by the son's obedience to a humiliating death. Take the next phrase right after the first comma. God will also glorify him in himself. As the father would be glorified by Jesus in his sacrifice, the death on the cross, he would also glorify Jesus in himself. That is, the union with himself. There weren't two individual glorifications going on. There was single glorification because Jesus said, I and the Father are one in John chapter 10, verse 30. And then he also said, I pray that they would be one as we are one. So Jesus is glorified. The Father is glorified. The Father glorifies Jesus. While Jesus is glorifying the Father, it's all one glorification happening at the exact same time because scripture is being fulfilled that the death of the Messiah, who came to save those that were lost, his people. Take the last section after the commas. And to glorify him immediately. Do we know that the moment Jesus died, he was glorified immediately? Was he immediately glorified in the moment that he said, now the Son of Man is glorified? The answer is yes. (laughs) When Jesus says it, it's true. It's happened. So, The term immediately refers to the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension. All within a very short time frame. Jesus went to the cross willingly because he knew it meant that there could be such a thing as forgiveness. So he went willingly, and he did this for us. And the Father would be glorified, and he would also glorify Jesus because of what he did on the cross. In verse 33, Jesus uses... The most enduring term for his disciples. We read it in English, in Hebrew, it would have been uh, understood a little bit with more effect than what we say. Little children. You just say little children, what does that mean? We say little children all the time. Hey little guy, stop running. Hey little guy, put that down. Hey little guys, quiet down. Like, it's easy for us to say, little children. That's not the term that's being used here in the, in the Aramaic. It would be something like, imagine Grandpa Goldsmith calling his sweet little grandchild up. Let's take Riley, because all your other grandchildren are horrible. <laughs> <clears throat> Sorry, Luke. Let's just take Riley, because she's just so cute right now, right? And she's your great-grandchild. When you bring that little one up to you, It's like little one, little child. It's like, hey, little buddy. Hey, I got you. It's a term of endearment. He's addressing his disciples, little children. His heart is about to break for what he has to say. He's about to tell them, where I go, you cannot go. These were his final words, almost as if you can imagine a father who has just gone into a horrible car accident and has moments to live in the hospital, and his family comes by for their final goodbyes. This is where Jesus is at this moment. He's saying with terms of endearment, little children, I'm about to leave. I will not be with you in a little while. And where I go, you can't go. Dad's going somewhere you can't follow. He knows they're going to be heartbroken. He and his humanity is not happy about this. He's pleased to go to the cross, and he's pleased to do the will of God. But he has relationship with these men as his disciples. This is going to sting. It's not going to feel good. But he says in this last moment... It's not really his last moments, but this is the time when he's addressing them with endearment. And he says, I want you to understand something really important. I'm about to give you something that I need you to remember. Son, there's a father in the hospital again. Take care of your mother. Take care of your sisters. Be the man. You're the man of the house now. Dad's gotta go. He's addressing them saying, listen, What I'm about to tell you, you need to remember for the rest of your lives. If you remember nothing else of my ministry, remember this. Love one another as I have loved you and laid my life down for you. You also ought to love one another in that way. He gives a new commandment. He says this is a new commandment. In verses 31 through 33, we could recapitulate that by saying Jesus says, It's my time to die. I've come to die. This is what I'm about to go do. And I'm going to glorify the Father in doing so. And he was going to do something that his closest friends couldn't stop. We're about to segue over to verse 34 where it's crucial. But Jesus uses the word glorify five times in three verses. It sounds redundant. We read it, glorify, 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 glorify. It's easy to get lost in that. It's just another one of those Hebraic, uh, Hebrew style of poetry of redundancy. But that's not what Jesus was doing here. That word glorify means doxadzo, which is a Greek word that we get our doxology. Right? It is a statement. It is a phrase of praise. Whenever we sing, praise God from whom all blessings flow, we're saying all praise goes to you because every blessing comes from you. It is a, it is a, a phrase, and the doxology that we do and we sing isn't the only doxology within Scripture. There are numerous dox, doxological phrases within Scripture That's just the one that we sing. It is a promoting of God. You are saying to anyone who hears, praise God. Why? Because all blessings come from him. And every creature knows this. Just to take that one doxology, for example. But notice what Jesus is stating when he's using this word to glorify. That when you see me, I am advertising the Father. And when you see the Father, he is advertising me. When we glorify something, when we glorify Jesus, we glorify the Father, and we're putting them on display for all to see. When you bring glory to God in your life, in your day-to-day, you are displaying who God is. This is why it's important to have a right understanding of who God is, so that we display God appropriately to the heathen and to our brothers and sisters that we're all in different walks in our walk for Christ. Some just starting out, some intermediate, some more advanced. Some think they're really advanced and they're really down here in the intermediate area. We're all just in areas that we ascribe to ourselves that we're somewhere on that, that line of getting to Christ. The word love, I understand, is not... Uh, It doesn't really carry the weight that it once did. How do we glorify Him? That's a question we should be asking regularly. How do we glorify Him? You glorify Jesus and you glorify the Father by loving one another. The word love has lost its luster, it's lost its punch. We throw it around when it really doesn't apply to the situations in our life. Most often we do it in a selfish way. Oh, I love pizza. Why do you love pizza? Because you want pizza. Especially when somebody is about to take that slice. Oh, I really would like some pizza. If I only had some pizza, I love pizza. It's usually done in a selfish way. I love this thing. I love that thing. I love listening to this podcast. I love watching that show. I love going to the park. This park is great. I love it. It's so fun. My kids have such a great time. You don't love the park. It's not the love Christ is talking about. It's lost its punch. When Jesus said to love one another, he wasn't saying, "Uh, like them. You should just like them. The word love, he's saying, love them as I have loved you. And I'm about to go die for you. My friend is about to go betray me. And I still washed his feet. That's the love that we are to exemplify to one another. And I'm doing this because it's very specifically within the fold of God. This is right at the tail end that he's addressing. We talked about with uh, hospitality, with Mary breaking the ointment and anointing him. He's telling them, the people in that room, Leave her alone. She's done a good thing. She's practicing hospitality to me. Do as she does. Remember this. Every time you talk about the gospel, this story should come along with it. It's for the people of God, not for those outside of God. We are instructed to love them too, but not in the same way. We don't lay our life down for the haters of God. We don't lay our life down for those that are trying to put forth legislation to murder children. We don't lay our lives down for people who are coming after your way of life, which is Christian, to destroy and to dismantle because they hate God. We're not laying our life down for them, but I lay my life down for you. You're my people. I'm your people. We lay it down for one another. When we genuinely love one another, we become walking billboards for God. Romans chapter 12, verse 10 tells us to be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above ourselves. When we love one another, we put him on display for the whole world to see. And this is very different from what their society, their ancient uh, Jerusalem right now, their society was used to. They were used to Judaism, Pharisees. You weren't doing what the Pharisees said, what they said you should do. You were mocked, ridiculed, even though you were a Jew and you were still practicing Judaism. You weren't a Pharisee. You weren't doing it like them. Then you have the Romans, who could care less what you do. Just do whatever you want. Just don't tell them that they can't do what they want. They were just not used to this kind of sacrificial love. A man could beat his woman and there was no problem with it. He could beat her onto the close to death. Courts would not step in. Jesus comes on the scene and says, no, that is not a way to love. Christians in that day were revolutionary for the culture in which they lived in. Today, our culture has had Christians in it for a very long time. We've become used to what Christians are, what they do, what they sound like, what they look like. That's why we're surprised when somebody actually performs Christian acts because the Christianity that's put forth out there is not so pretty all the time. He loved them even unto the cross. It's what will glorify God. When we love one another with genuine love, the world takes notice. That kind of love is not selfish. We then become billboards for God, or on the opposite end, When we become divisive, and we divide one another, and we talk about one another, and we backbite, and we gossip, you become a billboard for Satan. And anyone listening to you recognizes that you are nasty. It doesn't matter how many times you go to church. It doesn't matter if you have your master's degree in theology or divinity. If you are talking poorly about someone in the presence of someone else who doesn't know them, you are a billboard not for Christ you are doing the opposite of what you really want to do and you've fallen into that trap and you will continue going down the hill very quickly. It's a slippery slope. But if you love me and I love you, if you can see past my errors, my sins, my offenses, my prides, my words that don't come out right, if you can love past that and you can look past my actions... You become a billboard for the Holy One of Heaven. And we are walking in His footsteps. When people see us, what do they think? Are we displaying and are we representing God in this way as Christ does? There's difference between disciples and fans. The kingdom of God has a lot of fans in it. There's a lot of disciples too. When we're talking numerically across the globe, there are a lot of people doing the stuff right. The question we need to question ourselves is, are we taking the word of God and applying it to our life and to our situation, or are we just attending church and that's just good enough? We go to church once a week in this congregation. I've been a part of congregations that were in church four times a week. That still doesn't make you a disciple. It doesn't matter where you go multiple times. Because you go to Aldi's four times a week doesn't make you a cucumber. You cannot come to church seven days a week and actually be labeled Christian because you do so. God is concerned about our attendance in church because this is where the Word of God comes forth. This is where we hear from one another. We fellowship from one another. We partake in the Lord's Supper with one another. But the world doesn't know that you are Christian because of your attendance in church. Jesus said, They will know that you're my disciple because you will have love for one another. That's when they will know. Not how often you come, not what t-shirts you wear, what bumper stickers are on your car. When you actually love one another, they will take notice of that. The world will know us, not based on the things we say we know. Not based on the things... That we think we know. The world will know that we are his disciples when we exemplify that love for one another. Why is it crucial to be on guard against division and strife and quarrels? Because that's the tactic of Satan. We know this, but when this happens, are we quick to go, "Ah, I see what's going on here? This is a tactic of Satan. And I want no part of it, I'm going to pray or I'm going to walk away from the situation. Typically not. We get right in it. We just open it up. Let's just see what's going on in here. Let's dig in a little bit more. Let's just get into this a little bit more. And more and more and more and more nastiness is unfolded because we've done such. We ought to love one another. This love that he's speaking about is agape. Agape. There's other Greek words that are used when saying the word love in Scripture. We read it in English, just love. It it loses its intent. But when you read it in Greek, you understand that the word agape is a godly love. It is a compassionate pursuit of one another's well-being. That's what agape means. A compassionate pursuit of one another's well-being. You don't love me if you don't want what's best for me. And I, you, I can say it with my mouth, but if I don't really want what's best for you, I don't really love you. I have an affinity for you. You're kind of cool and we're good, but I don't really love you to the point where I want to see you succeed. But if I do, The Bible tells me, now I have agape love. We need to die to ourselves. There is too much everyday selfishness. All of us, every one of us, globally. I'm not singling people out in this room. Anyone on this globe, humans are typically very, very selfish people. Everything is What is in it for me? So, why should I love my brother or sister? What's in it for me? I'll tell you what's in it for you. What's in it is that when you practice the things of God, you experience God. In, well, I'll get there here in a second. Where, where that's expressed here. Let's go first John chapter four, verses seven and eight. "Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God, and he does not love. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love." Another verse that has lots of one word in it. But specifically, the word "know" it does not know God it is not it is not an intellectual knowing. it is a relationship knowing. That word "know" means to experience." The Greek word means to experience. so reread that, chunk it up a moment. He who doesn't uh, everyone who loves is born of God and experiences God if he does not love. He does not experience God. If you want to experience God in your situations, in your life, and you want Christ to show up in your life the way we all do, you need to experience God. And how do we do that? We love one another. It's a really simple mathematical equation. Scripture isn't hard for us to deduce what we need to do. Christ has said it over and over and over again, and the Old Testament is replete with loving your neighbor, loving one another. Because he's saying it's this really simple, brothers and sisters, little children. If you just love one another, you will experience God. Forget about your theological statements, forget about your doctrines for a moment. Do you love God enough? To love your brother and your sister when they are unlovable. Do you love me enough when I am not nice to you? Do you love when I say something that's misunderstood? Or do I love you when you say something I misunderstand? Communication's important. I could hear something. I could assume something. Unless I ask that thing, I'm assuming something else without empirical evidence. It will do us well to remember who he is speaking to, he being Christ. He's in the upper room. It's just after his last supper with them. Here's the we look at the last supper. This morning we had our last breakfast with Caden as a single man. I don't know that I'm going to make it through the ceremony on Saturday. <laughs> uh, I'm going to be like hey Derek. Can you just take over? here? It's my notes. <laughs> Uh, he's right there at his Last Supper with his loved ones, the ones he loves the most. He isn't saying display love to all, everyone, again, the, those that hate God, those that are against God. That is there in Scripture when it's told that we should love our neighbor and love those that persecute us. So we have that directive as Christians to love people who aren't just Christian Jesus is not telling us only love people who are Christian, but he's saying those that are Christian love them in a very special way. As I have laid my life down for the elect who are only Christian. I have not laid my life down for the hater of God. I've laid my life down for my people whom the father has given to me in my hand, and they will never depart from me, my people. Paul was just talking about the elect earlier in the catechism question. Jesus came to seek and save the lost of His people. Those that God has already predestined. We can't question why someone hasn't been predestined. We can't even question why this guy who we think shouldn't be predestined is in the fold. It's not our place to question that. That is up to God. I don't have a lot of time in my schedule But I do enjoy watching sports. But I don't have time to sit down and watch a game. If I'm going to sit down and watch a game, it's gotta be something with purpose. It's gotta be a time of bonding with my children. It's gotta be a time which I'm inviting my brothers and sisters over. We're gonna have a Super Bowl party or World Cup party. It's gotta be purposeful. You're not gonna find me this afternoon watching a sport because I just need to sit on the couch and veg. I don't have time in my life for that. This is why highlights are great. When you watch the highlights of the game. Because what they do is they shine light on the high points of the game. But they show all the good stuff. They show the amazing touchdown, they show the amazing score from kicks the ball over the head and then it swings in and gets right in the net at the last second. They show the trick shot and the hole-in-one. They show all the really great moments. This is why it's called the highlights. When we love one another, we display the highlights of one another. Love covers a multitude of sin. And when your love covers that sin, you are covering up the lowlights. Your life and your brethren's life are only on highlights. When you love, when I love appropriately, all that's good about you and all that God does through you, which glorifies him, is shown forth. Have you ever been around someone who they can only speak well about someone? Show of hands. They don't, you've never heard them say a bad word about anyone Ever. Put your hands up. I want to see how many people know that kind of person. Okay. Yeah. It's, yeah, they're out there and they're in our lives, right? And so isn't the other person who doesn't have a good thing to say about anyone. Right? But when you're around that person who only speaks highly about anyone and everyone, it's a joy to be around that person. You go, I don't ever have to worry about something awkward, uncomfortable. I just, I can just talk to this person. And even when I bring out something that's negative, they just bring the silver lining into it all. It's like, they're so positive. What an amazing kind of person to be. And I wish I were more like that. I say things all the time, which just, it's a bright, beautiful, sunny day. And then I walk into the room and then the storm clouds. It's like, I'm about to destroy everybody's world with my words. I can do that. And I have done that. And I don't like it. And later on, I'm like, well, that didn't really give me very good billboard status. How do I tailor? How do I rewind that back? How do I come back from that to where I can bring God glory in the midst of my stupidity? And sometimes it's just approaching and apologizing. Sometimes you can craft a situation to work out for God's glory again and just hope that they realize that you are human. So highlights are wonderful. They give the greatest parts of the game, all those touchdowns, all the great opportunities, but they don't show the turnovers and the missed opportunities that went on in the game. They don't show the man down, face. they don't show the guy's helmet getting knocked off. Sometimes they do when they're doing the blooper stuff, but they typically just showing you highlights, show you all the good parts of the game and then the score in the end, this one won over that one. When we love one another, that's what we're doing. We're covering the turnovers. We're covering the fumbles. We're covering the interceptions. We're covering the slipped foot and didn't get the touchdown at the last second. We're covering one another's mistakes. Brands. Back to brands. Brands. Brand names. What do brands have to do with loving one another? Brands are important to us. We see certain tags on something, and we're willing to spend more money. They say something about us. Thrift store coat, but it's from Lazarus. This is a store that existed in Columbus before I showed up. But I know it was a high-end store, was it not? Residents of Ohio for a while, right? Lazarus was a good store to buy suits at. So I got something named brand. People of Ohio know what that means people back in Boston don't know what that is. (laughs) But if it said like Burberry, then people would understand globally what that is, right? I can't afford a Burberry Coke. But these brands are important to us. They do tell a story. If you work with tools for a living, power tools, men in construction, men in farming, would you be caught dead with a Ryobi in your hand? (laughs) No. All right, Sorry for all those who have Ryobi. <laughs> Sometimes you just get what you for the what the job needs. If you're not working with power tools every day, you don't need to have Dewalt or Makita or Milwaukee. You just don't. Okay. Uh, how about runners? Any runners? Tom's a runner. I know he is. Maybe I designed this whole thing just for Tom. <laughs> like you're not wearing Payless sneakers, are you? No, you're not. No, they're either Brooks. Or their Hoka, like you're not wearing junk when it matters to your feet because you're running and that hurts when you're on junk. Mm-hmm. Even though it's cheaper, you don't mind spending $200, $250 on a pair of shoes or cleats, right? They're important, Four, $500, a pair of cleats. You don't mind spending more because that name is synonymous with the quality that you're looking for. women. This is one of those brands that will be forgotten about in 20 years from now. But some women would not be caught dead leaving their house without their Lulu lemons. <laughs> it is an absolute no, no to have a knockoff to have fufu lemons. <laughs> they has to be Lulu. Some women, not all women. It's just a brand, right? We go, oh, well, that's the thing we want to wear. Why? That spandex is not made any different than the spandex from Fufu. It's made in the exact same Korean sweatshop as Lulu. It just has a different brand on it. But we don't mind spending a little bit money, a little bit more money, because it tells something, right? <clears throat> Excuse me. God has a brand. I would submit that to you today that. We are his brand. When we love one another, we become the billboards of God and we advertise who he is. Our love for one another covers sins of our brothers and sisters and others see them for who God intended them to be. Not low lights. We're going to mess things up in this thing we call life. No doubt about it. We're going to sin. We're going to sin hard. We're going to offend one another. Not just with the people in this room. The rest of your life, you're going to offend people. And people are going to offend you. Fine. You cannot get away from that. That is, you know, they say the only sure things in life are death and taxes. It's death and taxes and you'll be offended. It will happen. It will happen. And that's okay. We just have to know how to navigate around those offenses. We heard something really good on a podcast. It's better to be offended than to be the one offending. It's better that you are offended than you offend. So we're going to mess this up. We're going to sin against each other. We're even going to get to the point in our relationships here and outside of here that we just want to throw the towel in on this relationship. It's just easier to see you later. Peace out later. going to go back to my house. You're going to go back to yours. The two shall never twain again. Like the twain shall never, whatever that is. (laughs) That's what happens when you use old English. It doesn't work. The two are not ever going to mix again because we're oil and water. We don't get along. This is why Christ died. Jesus very easily could have said early in his ministry with this one who was going to betray him, this one who was his friend and he knew he was going to betray him to death. He could have said early on, I'm not investing in this guy, he's a waste of my time. He is a waste of kingdom resources. And he very well may have been what well, we know he was. But he did a very valuable thing for the kingdom. What he did is he ushered in prophecy. You're going to have Judases in your own life that will stare you in the face and betray you, and it's okay. How do we respond to that? We love them, we love one another. So often we think that someone who's against us isn't, even though we don't have empirical evidence. Jesus had empirical evidence. He's staring at the man, and in his sovereignty, he knew he's going to betray me. When I dip my bread in this, watch, guys, guys, watch. The guy who's going to betray me, the moment I put the bread in, he will too. Now everyone at the table knows who's going to betray him. And Jesus looks at him and goes, Go do what you're going to do quickly. He could have had all those guys jump him right there in the dinner. Just beat him up so he couldn't. Tie him up so he couldn't go and betray him. But Jesus knew the will of God must be fulfilled and I have to roll with the punches here in order for the will of God to happen. Saints of God, please, and I'm speaking to myself too, please let us Love each other. Let us show that love. Let us lay our lives down for one another. We're not always going to get along because we're brothers and sisters. If you've ever had a brother or a sister growing up, they don't get along. 97% of my day is trying to break up children because they're not getting along. But at any point, if some outsider were to say something wrong about one of them, they're all right up there, like, right on them. What? Don't talk about... What? I can't. You can't. That's my brother. Let us love one another. Have love for the world, but that's a different kind of love. We're not laying our lives down for the world. I remember this sermon illustration a long time ago, and I believed it like, like it was gospel. Like it, was, it was just a sermon illustration the preacher came out with. And he's, got, uh, he's on a hike with his son and his son's friend, and they're too close to the cliff, and the boys fall, and dad runs down. He grabs their, their hands, and he's, he's dangling over, and, and he knows his son is a Christian because his son goes to Iwana and he knows he's Christian. <laughs> But the other boy's not. And this was the purpose of the trip is to try to try to evangelize this boy. And his son looks up at his dad and he goes, it's okay, dad. I know where I'm going. The dad lets go of the hand of his son to grab the other boy to lift him up because he couldn't lift them both up. And later on, that boy became Christian and loved God and had a great family of God. It's all just fake for sermon illustration just to tug on your heart. The fact is, when we love those that are of the fold, we are doing what Christ has done. He's laid his life down for the people of the fold. The people outside the fold, we don't know who's going to ever be in. That's not our place. We want them all to be in the fold. We want everyone to be in Christ. But make sure your energy is placed in loving your brethren here in this church or anyone else who bows the knee to Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this time. It's time that we can sit and think and reflect upon your scriptures, your principles. We can dig into Greek and Hebrew and we can figure out what your word says. And we have a pretty good idea of what it is by now. We've had plenty of scholars dissecting it and figuring it out and then giving it to us. We don't have to look very hard, other than a short Google search, to find out an answer on something of what the Bible really says about a thing. Lord, I pray that this thing, this thing about loving one another, would rest and settle within our hearts, that we can put ourselves aside. If we're 80, we've had a life of doing things our own way. Lord, let us do things your way. If we're eight, Lord, let us learn what it is to do things your way so that we don't have that kind of baggage later on in life. Lord, help us to be your disciples who love one another and not just a fan in the kingdom. May our love for one another cover a multitude of sins of one another. May we have compassion and mercy when we see one another hurting and one another in difficulties. Even if we can't do anything about it, may it be breaking our hearts to know that our sister or our brother is in need and that our prayers would go forward. And if we are capable of doing an action that actually shows forth that love, Lord, may you place it on our heart to do such, to lift one another up. There are so many needs, Lord. So much brokenness in this world. So much brokenness even in your own church. Lord, may we be your hands and feet that would apply the balm of Gilead to the wounds, that we would apply the mercy of Christ to the hurts, to the offenses, to the sins. And may we give the highlights of our brothers and sisters as we go forth as billboards and glorifying you in all that we do as we practice in walking in our master's footsteps. In Jesus' name, amen.